Welcome to the Tech Enthusiast Hour podcast. Each week there'll be several hosts and we'll talk about tech, including news, reviews, and maybe a rant once in a while. Let's start with introductions. I'm Randy Cassingham, founder of thisistrue.com, the oldest entertainment publication on the internet. And I'm Gary Rosenzweig, the host and producer of macmost.com, where I post new Mac, iPhone, and iPad tutorials each week. I also make mobile games that you can find at clevermedia.com. I'm Kevin Savitz. I've created and run more than 100 websites, and I am a computer historian. I've done more than 300 interviews with people who created the microcomputing revolution. You can hear those at ataripodcast.com. So I'll go ahead and start. I got a laugh out of a recent Associated Press review of the new Kindle Oasis book reader. The reviewer, tech reporter Nick Jesdanen, praised that the new Kindle is waterproof. Yay! Except, he says, you can't use it while scuba diving because the waterproofing only works to a depth of six and a half feet. But wait, it gets better. Quote, while walking in a storm, Rainwater distorted the text like a magnifying glass, and I had to wipe many drops away. What? <laughs> oh, <pardon> me. <laughs> and I, I don't even think he's joking. Here's another one. <laughs> During a hot shower, pages turned on their own. He thinks Amazon meant for it to be hit by a hot shower stream? I mean, come on. Who reads in the shower? And he's expecting maybe to use it to bring along his scuba diving safety manual. Reading in the bath is one thing, reading in the shower. Okay, so if this guy is not a licensed scuba guy, he doesn't even, it's like that, that thing, like, the doctor will I ever play piano again? You know, it's like that, that joke. Like, <laughs> right. If, if this guy can't already scuba dive, he does not get to make that complaint. That's true. Yeah, we, yeah, we, we should know. demand evidence that he scuba dives and scuba dives with it, with right. the candle. <laughs> right. Yeah, we don't want to go scuba diving with the damn thing. We just want to survive if it gets splashed in the bathtub. Come on. I right. just want to lay in the, in the, on the raft in the pool or read in the bath or whatever and not have your device die for one little slip up, which it sounds like this thing will do. Apparently. <laughs> which sounds amazing. I and it's got a kid. big screen and a big battery, and that's yeah. what we really want. I found my kid the other day reading a, a book in the bath, and but then I discovered it was a library book. I'm just like, oh, that's that's dangerous, kid. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe what maybe what they need to do is it needs to be like a, a Kindle case that has windshield wipers on it. <laughs> and you could, yeah, that's good. Yeah, and then you know it's got a little like battery, and then you could just you know wipe it away. And, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it would be a whole new accessory. Maybe that's maybe that's what this guy's getting into. He's uh, priming the the uh, market for right. that uh, yeah. accessory. I'll be I'll be launching the Kickstarter for that uh, tomorrow. You can. And, oh, yeah. You know, it's bad enough that people are running into things and stepping into traffic when they're reading off their phone. Now they're going to be reading books on a Kindle while they're walking in the rain. Come oh, on. No. Yeah. I want a Kindle with a built-in umbrella, and that will keep the water from splashing onto the screen and accidentally turning the pages. Well, that's going to be my Kickstarter. Mm, excellent. So the funny thing is, is I actually listen to, uh, listen to, I gave it away. I actually read books while I'm walking and riding my bike Uh-oh. and driving. But of course, they're audiobooks. I'm actually listening, not visually reading. So, uh, so I skipped right over the Kindle and went right from like reading paper to actually listening, and. Uh, yeah, so well, I got you know as long as you can hear the train coming, Gary. Well, that's just it with the audio with audiobooks as opposed to music. What bothers me is when you see somebody else like 
you know, say biking on a, a bike trail and they've got the headphones in, I immediately assume that they are listening to music, which means they can't hear me uh, if they need to. But they may be like me just listening to audiobooks, which are, you know, 50% at least silence between each word. So I can perfectly hear, you know, cars and people coming up behind me and train whistles, train whistles, all that uh, kind of thing. Um, But I still have the same problem with, you know, with water, say like in, in the hot tub, you know, I'm afraid to listen to my audiobook unless I do it with Bluetooth uh, headphones, because the worst that could happen then is my Bluetooth headphones get ruined because they get wet. Uh, whereas my, you know, iPhone or whatever it is I'm listening, you know, getting the audio from is safely out of reach, you know, on the other side, you know, uh, uh, away from the actual water. Do those Bluetooth headphones work when you're scuba diving? Yeah, no, I, those will definitely not work (laughs) while scuba diving. In fact, I think I'm pretty sure I've broken at least one set of Bluetooth headphones just from probably the humidity. Mm-hmm. You know, they just yeah. they, they couldn't take it. So, uh, so it's kind of a tr- trial and error with ten or twenty dollar Bluetooth headphones to find out which ones will stand the uh, the moisture in the air. One of the things I like about podcasts and audiobooks is that if I miss something, I can hit the little button that's back fifteen seconds, so I can hear it again. Can you do that with the headphones? Not with the ones I have now, um, but I know there what if I use the earbuds which have wires, so I don't do those with the hot tub. Um, you can. So I'm wondering if I got AirPods, if I could do that. But then, of course, then I'm dangling $150, you know, Bluetooth headphones uh, above the water instead of the $20 or, $20 or cheaper ones. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, but, you know, but hey, if you, if I, uh, I think a Kindle, especially the, the, the cheaper models would be an ideal reading device for over the hot tub because uh you know it's simply not you know a huge disaster like a 500 or 700 dollar ipad or a thousand dollar iphone 10 would be uh if you dropped it in i mean the iphone 10 is supposed to be waterproof but not i don't think like submerse it in a hot tub and fish it off the bottom kind of thing is gonna it's gonna work and and not scuba diving either yeah definitely not scuba diving so the Kindle Oasis is their top of the line. It's their most expensive one. Oh. So it's kind of playing with your your theory there a little bit, Gary. But, you know, it's a good start. It's a good trend that these devices are starting to be waterproof, at least for splashing, mm-hmm. maybe not for scuba diving. Cool. All right. Well, we'll have to see uh, who's going to be the first of us to get one. Won't be me. I've got a stack of iPads for my app development, so I, I, don't, I don't need more. I don't need Kindles lying around. You need another tablet. You yeah, yeah. A too waterproof many, one. Too many screens. Um, yeah. So uh, another big story this week was uh, Twitter is now 280 characters. You know, it's for everybody. The Yay. limit has been doubled so some history the reason that you were limited up till now to 140 characters was because originally many people don't remember this but originally twitter was kind of a text messaging system you signed up and then you could send a text to through twitter and then anybody that was following you would get that text so on their cell phones on their cell phones so you would get it as a text i remember the very beginning i you know, only I wouldn't do that. I would just get it on the computer. You know, it was before apps, so I would just get it, um, you know, in my browser. But there Mine was linked to my cell phone. 
Yeah. So you remember to do it. And the deal was that a lot of SMS systems at the time were limited to 160 characters. So they limited the, the username to 20 and then the message to 140. And that's how they came up with 160. And then over the years, as they moved away from SMS and SMS is, can do longer messages now anyway. Um, and they've moved to apps. They have kept the 140 characters, but they've loosened it. Now things like links are, uh, don't count towards it. The, you know, reply names don't count towards it. Things like that. Um, and I think even images. links don't have, they don't count the whole, all the characters in yeah. a link. Oh yeah, no, it's shortened. And then of course you can attach images to it. And then people started doing multiple tweets, you know, uh, one after the other um, to get around it. Uh, but now they decided to not get rid of the limit. I'll make it unlimited, but just to double in size. Just a slightly larger and yeah. still arbitrary limit. Exactly. Completely arbitrary. And one of the things I really liked about Twitter is it forced people to be a little bit more succinct and not go on and on. Mm-hmm. And so the 140 characters was nice, but you know, I'm, I'm a pretty succinct writer myself. And I, I really hate people having to say you, you know, the letter U to, to mean the, the, the word you, it just, it looks dumb. Yeah. So if we can go a little bit longer and have a little bit more flexibility, but still kind of enforce some brevity, I think it's a good sign and a good bit of progress. Yeah. I, so I answer tech questions every once in a while because I tell people they can contact me at you know various places and Twitter's one of them. And what drove me crazy is somebody would ask me a question that needed a pretty detailed answer and there's no way to do it 140 characters sometimes. So now 280 makes it a little bit easier. So it'll be less often that I have to respond with a, please contact me at through the site or the form or email. Uh, you know, some, I send a lot of those, you know, because I can't respond to 140 characters. Now mm-hmm. more, t- more times I'll be able to actually give them a real answer over Twitter and I'd have to resort to that. I feel like it's a problem. It's a solution to a problem that no one was really complaining about. I mean, some people might've been using threads or whatever to, 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 to do longer uh, responses, but Twitter has bigger problems than, that that's true they have the whole thing with the 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 verified check marks that's that's going on and uh people just terrible people using the site for maybe that's fine maybe it's free speech or maybe these people should be thrown off the platform i mean twitter has bigger issues i think than the number of characters and and maybe i'm wondering if they're putting the resources uh in the wrong place right now yeah already you guys verified I'm not, and I've tried it and been declined. No reason why. I mean, this is true. It's been around longer than Twitter, but (laughs) I can't be verified. Yeah, I've uh, I've tried twice, and uh, you know, like I've written books, and I've you know done not super famous, but I'm kind of well known in certain circles for certain certain things, and they're just like, nope, not for you. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, I did the same thing, and I even went and said, look, sometimes I give people tech advice and even security tech advice and it would be nice for them to know that it was actually really coming from me but they didn't buy it yet white supremacists can get it i don't don't know you know hello yeah well they they it started out as just a way to verify i guess well-known people but it's become a status symbol right like who's important and who's not yeah 
Exactly. And then they say it's not. They're like, oh, no, that's not what we're doing. But then they behave exactly like it is what they're doing. Because if you're not important enough, you don't get it. So therefore, it's a mark of who Twitter thinks is important. I mean, yeah, no, I, I totally, I hate the whole verified thing. Uh, but I have to admit that if I, uh, as a result of this conversation, resubmitted my verification tomorrow and then was accepted, I'd be all happy. <laughs> I'd be like, right. ah, well, I guess you guys, you guys don't deserve it because I'm verified. <laughs> right. So yeah. yeah, that kind of proves the point. I feel like maybe it should be like, uh, some minimum guidelines where if you have f- f- 500 or more followers and you really do something to prove who you are, like submit your driver's license or whatever you need to prove that you're or, or put a verification file on your website. Sure. Sure. But you simply prove you're not a, a Russian bot or whatever. Um, then everyone should be able to have access to it. Who meets a, you know, a pretty basic uh, hurdle like that. And I think the whole thing is that it's a manual process that somebody there and some guy sitting in a chair is the one making the decision when, you know, I verified my website for Google because I wanted to be able to uh, get, you know, track my users and sure. all that. And for that, stuff. right, you create a file, you throw it on the server, you, yeah, you're done. And it's completely automated. They don't want some to pay somebody to, to review and do all this stuff. That's right. What a waste of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so no, of just, course it's going to be arbitrary. Yeah, it's a developer. I mean, I can see all sorts of ways that they could, uh, you know, make it an even standard. I mean, like as you said, if you have 500 followers, but they could not only be 500 followers, they could actually look at like some sort of quality score of those followers. Just you know, Right, they're not bots. They're not bots. They're actual real people. They've been around for a while. They actually, you know, say things. And if you have a certain number of those, um, you could even do stuff like, I mean, I hate to, you know. The account's been open a certain amount of time right. and you've done a certain number of tweets. Even a verification, like a, you know, a, a pseudo credit type verification where, you know, you use a card of some sort that ties you into the banking system, that it's the kind of thing where if you were faking it and you were trying to get in there, you, you wouldn't want to put this information, you know, give this information to Twitter. There are all sorts of things where you verify with a credit card or a bank number or something. Um, there's probably a better way to do it that doesn't t- tie to a financial institution even. But no, it just, no. It, it's a popularity contest and it's garbage. Yep. They gotta, they gotta fix that problem. Uh, if they're, if they're fixing problems, that's one that they can need to put really high up on the list, I think. Yeah. And we are on Twitter at the T E H podcast on Twitter. We got to start tweeting there. We do. We do. Oh, good. Are we verified? Well, yet? we do need to. <laughs> yes. We don't have any followers at the moment because this is our first episode. I'll, I'll follow us and then we'll, we'll have one. Yay. Yeah. Okay. We should have three actually. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not following that crap account. No way. <laughs> yeah. It looks, like, it looks like a bot to me. <laughs> they, they couldn't even spell the right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh so kevin tell us about this new standard mm, new standard a new standard we love standards we'll there's so many standards. to choose from that's yeah. what makes them so good and right? there's more every day <laughs> yeah so uh television you might have one you might have heard of it up and coming technology so yeah the the people who decide what uh what 
TV is going to be about now that it's digital. I mean, there's all these standards that, that run it, and uh, they're they're working on a a new one called uh, ATSC 3.0, and uh, it is uh, going to be the new television technology coming up, coming down the pike uh, in in a few years. Uh, and let's see. Actually, it's only really been adopted in South Korea. Really? Well, yeah. Excellent. Good for them. Cutting edge South Korea. So uh, stealing from this uh, Reuters article, um, I'm going to read a little bit of it. It says, uh, U.S. regulators on Thursday approved the use of this new technology that will improve picture quality on mobile phones, tablets, and television, but also raises significant privacy concerns by giving advertisers dramatically more data about viewing habits. The FCC voted 3-2 to to allow broadcasters to voluntarily use this new technology ATSC 3.0, which would allow for more precise geolocating of television signals, ultra-high definition, picture quality, and more interactive programming like new educational content for children and multiple angles of live sporting events. The new standard would also let broadcasters activate a TV set that is turned off to send emergency alerts. Which is kind of interesting. I I volunteer in emergency services, so getting, you know... A tornado warning out and being able to geolocate and say, hey, turn on all the TVs that are about to get whacked and send them a message. That's pretty cool, but I don't think that's going to be the primary use. I think the primary use is going to be advertisers trying to see what you're watching and then target ads specifically to you. Absolutely. They want to know, oh, there's three people watching this show right now and and you know maybe they're two males and a female and so we're going to show ads for this or that that's and they have a history of watching the playboy channel mm-hmm. yeah this is some next level black mirror stuff and i don't like it now because it's the fcc is it doesn't it really only affect broadcast not cable not digital yeah i don't know i mean maybe but i think the fcc oversees everything now um mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, the, the stuff I read, you know, there, there wasn't a lot of detail, but it probably isn't a lot of detail now, but, you know, they say it's a few years off. And I'm, I'm curious, it's like, so FCC, I think, broadcast, but if they are going to apply this to, say, cable and, you know, satellite TV networks and even digital, you know, online networks, um, it'll be interesting. I, I don't know how they say it'll bring ultra high definition quality and then it, to mobile phones, but we already have that on mobile devices. So I don't know how it's bringing it to them. I mean, you know, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if this is broadcast only, then I'm not worried about this. This affects nobody because who really, who watches broadcast television? Not too many. Probably not enough to make it worthwhile for the marketing people to track everything. I wonder if, but if it works on satellite and cable and, this and that, then they can really track everything, then yikes. I don't like it. I wonder if uh, the number of people using, you know, the over-the-air uh, antenna signal is actually increasing now because it, it's a thing that cord cutters do, right? So if you're, you know, go, not using cable TV anymore and you're just getting, you know, Netflix and Hulu and all that, then you're getting your local stations over an antenna. I know I, I've people in my neighborhood are, you know, posting to the local next door group have talked about cord cutting and that they got an antenna. Matter of fact, somebody even talked about an, an antenna guy that comes around and will put an antenna on your roof 
or you're in your attic so you could pick up the, the over-the-air digital signals. Um, so it's interesting. You know, you go from like having those antennas and then everybody not having those antennas and everybody right. wanting them back. Right. And for a minute, everyone had uh, satellite dishes, multiple satellite dishes all pointing in the same direction, on, you know, pointing to the south on their houses. And now back to, uh, I got to adjust the aerial. I'm not, can't, get my, <laughs> can't get my shows. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I, I almost wonder if it seems to me that satellite, uh, both satellite networks, they have their internet only offering now, you know, both dish and direct TV have, you know, a service that you can get that no dish. It's just a, you know, streaming streaming. Yeah. And I'm thinking that, you know, we might be 10 years away from them from deorbiting their satellites and it's just, they're purely a, uh, you know, internet service. Sure. And also uh, YouTube TV is new. It's another service from YouTube. Same yeah. thing. And get like, I think 45 odd channels or something that you can watch. Yeah. Well, and one of the other topics we we're going to talk about tonight is this fragmentation for the cord cutters. And I think we had to kind of merge those two into, into, the, into this. Um, yeah. Where do, where do you stop? I mean, do you have to get 15 different services in order to watch the you know nine channels you really want to see? Right, because next year we may be looking at a Disney uh, network and an ESPN network. So first that means a lot of Disney stuff is going to be gone from wherever it is now, like uh, Netflix and such. And then um, you, know, you may also find that ESPN isn't on your streaming service anymore because they have their own thing. So now you're paying five or ten bucks for ESPN and a collection of sports channels. And then if you want to watch the new Star Trek show, you got to get CBS. Yeah. And then there's Hulu and then there's Netflix and then there's Amazon. And, you know, there's a ton of other uh, HBO, you know, HBO now or HBO go. Right. YouTube red and YouTube TV and who knows how many other small networks that, you know, tiny little upstarts and, and things. Um, My wife for a minute subscribed to, a little network called CISO that I don't know for a couple months and then they went away. Uh, they lost funding or whatever. And they, they and the network and all the shows are now gone. How many other times has that happened? I don't know. Yeah. I think well, somewhere it, there's like two, somebody estimated 200 different streaming services are either here or coming or, you know, are predicted to be here. I mean, so $10 a pop, you know, you were sick of paying $150 for cable. But now, if you want, but now you have to have ten, fifteen dollar streaming services. Yeah, right. yeah, and probably about four different boxes because what well, the Apple TV doesn't work with the, uh, the whatever the Hulu and the Amazon, the Roku doesn't work with the you know whatever. So you're going to need different boxes to talk to these different services. Yeah, yeah. and there was one that kind of caught my my eye this week called Philo P H I L O dot com that has 37 channels for $16 a month. And part of their differentiator is no sports channels because they know geeks, maybe not all that interested in sports, which is why it caught my eye because I don't give a rat's about sports. Also, I think the sports channels are some of the most expensive to license. So Absolutely. Because they've got to pay the NFL and the NBA and all that to uh, carry the, the games. Yeah. Now the the flip side of this is that I have noticed, you know, looking at some of these, that there's a lot of overlap. Like there are a lot of these. You know, there's a sh- if there's a show you want to watch, you might find it on multiple 
you know, online networks. Right, just like most channels are on DirecTV and Dish Network. Right, so, so it may not be that you, know, you need to have 15 of them. You just need to have the right set that overlap your interests. And the other way to go is, of course, not use any of these and just buy the shows a la carte you know, via iTunes uh, or you know, some other way um, where you're just buying just the show. And that could be kind of expensive sometimes. I know I saw a season of a TV show for 40 bucks for you know, in the whole season, but then I've seen other TV shows that are as little as $12 for the season. So it varies, but if you wanted to, you could certainly just say, forget about the networks. I'm just going to, when I want to watch a show, just buy a season pass on iTunes um, or through Amazon and just watch the whole season, you know, and not have any other content at all. So it's, it's another way to go. It's, it, we're a few years away from this all sorting out, I think. Yeah. It used to be so easy. There were three channels and you'd watch what was on. That was it. <laughs> yeah. You would just watch what was on. That yeah. was it. It would, <laughs> and you know what, were, were we any, are we any happier now? I don't know, maybe, maybe a little know. bit, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, and you always, you always could find something, something if you wanted to watch TV. Yeah. But it was usually a rerun. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny how we still have reruns. Like if you go to the, you know, you still can watch like all these shows. I was just looking at my DVR and, you know, you got to tell it to record first run episodes only else you get tons of reruns of the same show from previous seasons. So they still do that. It's, it's kind of a weird, we're at a weird time where we still have one foot in the same TV systems that were there in the fifties. Mm-hmm. But yet we have the other foot, you know, trying new things out that won't settle for, you know, another 10, 15 years. Yeah. It's a brave so, new world. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> in television. So, uh, oh, so Randy, tell us about this. This is a cool, the cool new DNS service that. It was the guy who wrote the internet spam primer. I know the spam war is still escalating, and a new weapon has been introduced for the good guys. The so-called Quad Nine DNS server, named after its IP address, which is nine dot nine dot nine dot nine, which is akin to Google's DNS server, which is four eights, and it's set up to be your primary DNS look up to help you surf the internet and it helps because it blocks known malicious and malware domains including phishing sites and this not only helps you avoid malware sites in the first place but if you are infected then those malware packages you have on your computer or your phone can't quote unquote phone home for instructions like for uh, bot attacks or something like that and it was created by the global cyber alliance and this is the best part. They were funded with a $25 million cash infusion from criminal asset forfeiture. So criminals got to pay for this to help keep us safe online. Oh, interesting. So how, so, uh, I mean, to, if you wanted to use this, like a normal user wanted to use this, how would they, how and, you know, why would they set this up on their computer? Like, what's it going to do for them? Well, when you set up your internet at home, you're usually putting in a router and if you want everything in the house to use the DNS service you want, it's probably set up now to your ISP's DNS or whatever they specify they're using for a DNS. And you can go into your router settings and 
override that and put in the nine, the four nines. Or well, you yeah. can put it in, you know, like Google's. You can also do it with your network app, your network um, control panel. It's a little bit hinky in Windows. It's everything always is. Yeah, you probably want to be kind of a power user to do it, but you can go into your network adapter and say, here's the DNS I want to use, 9999. If you do it on your one computer, then it only affects your one computer. Right. If it were me, uh, I would do it, try to do it on my router level so that exactly. all the devices that use my, my, uh, my, my network would, be, would use it. So for instance, if you had... Uh, an Internet of Things device. If you had a a, a a a camera watching your a doorbell or something um, that was connected to the internet, and those get hacked by the millions, you can keep your device from causing problems. If exactly if you've hacked, if you've modified your network, so, or or reporting to their you know mothership to say, hey, I'm I'm compromised. What do you want me to do? Do you want me to send you pictures of this kid's baby? Right. Right. So, so the idea is, uh, for those that don't know that, so what DNS does is it is what translates a domain name like tehpodcast.com to the actual address, which is four numbers with dots between them. And everything on the internet is really at these num sets of numbered addresses, which we don't have to type in, thankfully, because we can type in these nice names like google.com and apple.com and such. And so the DNS servers are what translate. You know, you type google.com and it says, oh, google.com, here's the four numbers that are the real address for that. Um, and the way it would protect you is typically if somebody creates a piece of malware and they want it to call home to, you know, communicate with their their evil doings, then they would, they could use those four numbers and that would be impossible to get around, but they get caught and they have to change servers. Those numbers don't come with them. So they'll make up a domain name that you've never heard of, you know, my evil malware process dot, you know, whatever. And or XYZ7485. Yeah. Dot yeah, com. Right. And then they set it up and then they set up their server and DNS will translate it. But if you're using, you know, 9999 is your DNS server, then uh, supposedly, you know, if somebody says this is a bad domain here, um, it will just cut it off completely. And they could move servers all they want, but it will never, uh, your, your devices in your house will never be able to find their server because it's basically uh, just completely cut off. So it, like it doesn't exist anymore. So the weakness of this is it has to be maintained. They have to be checking these sites constantly and adding new domains as the bad guys bring them up. And they're doing that twice a day now. So it's, it's really pretty active. The question is, can they keep getting funding, maybe by criminal asset forfeiture, so they can keep doing this? And that's the unknown right now. Right. Thankfully, it's easy to change your uh, DNS back. Um, I know I've advised people in the past to use that Google one, not for this reason. I don't know if Google does any of this kind of stuff, but Google's uh, DNS, they're maintained well and they're fast. Whereas your ISP one, you know, if you're using your, you know, your cable provider Comcast or whatever. Comcast or something, yeah. Yeah. If you're using that, then a lot of times 
they just don't have the incentive really to care. Like if theirs gets out of date by two or three days or a section of it is like lost for a couple hours, like it won't resolve certain domain names. It's like, eh, you know, it's not what are people going to suddenly switch providers because you know, their quality of their DS, DNS isn't great. No, probably not. So they're, they're, so they're not, there's no incentive for them to go and keep it going. Google has the incentive is they want more people doing more things in the internet so they can make money through advertising. And, you know, a, you know, something like this thing here that, you know, nine, 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 I guess their incentive is just to provide a good service and protect people. And, you know, uh, so it's probably, even if you're not worried about, malware and things it may actually be better than using your your isp's dns it would be interesting to uh compare the offerings of this new dns service to one of the older alternate dns's such as uh, open dns is the one i'm thinking of i mean when i think of alternate dns's there's google and there's open dns as far as i'm concerned uh open dns has existed for years and uh i think it offers some of the same so you can you can block things like you don't want you don't want your kids looking at uh, grown upy adulty porn sites. You can block them network wide, and uh, that sort of thing. And I think it also does some stuff with blocking malware, but maybe I don't think that's its focus. Like with this this Squad Nine thing. Yeah, I've used Open DNS in the past uh, mm-hmm. when my my kid was younger too, just to you know. Make sure she didn't actually end up somewhere, you know, she wasn't supposed to on the internet. You could yeah, even accidentally, yeah. Stuff. Yeah, and the and the thing was is that, you know, with DNS, I was able to set the house to be using Open DNS, and I set up some restrictions there. Then I set up my individual computers to actually use Google's DNS, so I didn't have those restrictions, so I wouldn't hit any barriers, and I could test uh, Open DNS versus mine and see what went through mm-hmm. and what didn't. Yeah. So that's one of the weaknesses too. You can set this on your router and every device at your home is going to be protected in this way that you set up. Mm-hmm. But as soon as you go out to school or to Starbucks and use their internet connection, you're not going through your own router. You don't have those protections anymore. Right, but you do. So that is an advantage to setting up if you have a laptop. And you wanted to use, you know, Google's 8888 for speed, you know, speed and quality, or this 9999 service, that means it'll work in your house with your laptop. And then you go to the Starbucks, instead of using whatever, you know, DNS happens to be on their system, you're using yours. I've actually done this with, uh, I've stayed at hotels, and I've noticed the internet is really slow. And then I've looked into it using some tools and found out it's their DNS server. So it's not that it takes a long time for them to load the page. It's that when I request a page, their DNS server takes several seconds to actually identify where the server is located. So I easily just switch to 8888 for Google and suddenly the internet's super fast, even though I'm in a conference place or a, a hotel or something place like that. I've had the opposite problem a few times where I'm, always using Google's DNS, but then the the hotel or conference center or whatever has some sort of captive portal and you can't get anywhere if you're not using their DNS. <laughs> that That is true. Some of the, uh, sometimes if you try to vert, like you have to go through the little thing where you put your room number or you have to give them your email address before you access, yep. um, it won't work, it, particularly on those in, in-flight Wi-Fi by the way, if you're using a, another specific DNS, a lot of times you can't connect to the Wi-Fi on the airplane mm-hmm. 
-hmm. until you turn that off. Mm -hmm. And once you verify through them and pay, then you can turn it back on again and it works. But they're using DNS to manipulate. That's why when you type, you know, you, you log into the Wi-Fi and you haven't done anything yet and you go to Google.com and suddenly you find yourself at, you know, they're like, please pay to use the Wi-Fi thing. They're manipulating DNS there. So, Gary, I want to back up just a little bit. You actually used one of these services to kind of protect your own kid. Yeah. But did you think of going into her phone and setting DNS on the phone to use that same kind of thing? Or did she, when she went out and was out on her own on the street using, say, Verizon's DNS, she could do whatever she wanted? Well, she, was, she didn't have a phone at the time, too young. Okay. So it was just the, the you know, it was that first device, right? You know, a, an old laptop to be able to access and do homework and stuff. And uh, so it was easy that way. Um, I but wasn't. My, I, my main point is for parents that are doing this, you got to think about where the DNS is being done. It's not always going to be through your own router. If your kid has a phone or your kid has a laptop and takes it out on the road somewhere to a friend's house or whatever. Right. Exactly. I think the only valid reason for completely locking down your kid's um, internet is to allow them to uh, learn some hacking skills so they could break through. And then oh, absolutely. Proud, proud yeah. parent of like, yes, yes, finally. <laughs> I was oh, say, boy, my son's watching porn. That means he's cracked it. He's right. cracked it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> learned enough about the system in order to figure out a way around it. And that's, that's a skill too, you know? So It that, is. Yeah. Definitely. So I'm not advocating that, you know, you should censor what your kid watches, but, you know, you got to think about the, the implications and how this all works, and that's why it's good to know what DNS is and how it can be manip manipulated. And you should totally censor what your kid watches. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially when they're, when they're, they're young enough that they're only accessing the internet in your house, then it's, it works out really well that, that yeah. you have complete control. And by the time they're out and they, and they know how to get around that stuff anyway, it's like, well, I didn't, you know, I guess you could go to great lengths, but, uh, but you're not going to be able to completely control everything. I mean, so it, speaking of protecting yeah, kids, are, are you done? Yeah. I'm yeah. going to move on. Um, before Kevin got here and we were chatting, you were talking about this headline that went by that smartwatches are illegal in Germany now. And you had some really interesting points. I said, hey, save it for the podcast. So here's a good time. Right. What's so about the, this headline? Well, so, okay. So, yeah, it, there was a clickbaity click type headline. We could talk about that later. I have a whole rant on that. But it was basically trying to say You won't that. believe what Gary has to say yeah. about that. Yeah. Tune in <laughs> next week. <laughs> the, uh, you know, the thing was they, it said, like, smartwatches banned in Germany. Right. It turns out what it is. For kids. For kids. And, so it's, and it's a particular type of smartwatch. Uh, and it, they're banned. Well, I couldn't really figure out whether they're really banned or there's some government entity that is basically putting some rule in place that nobody's going to follow. But, but the idea is one of the functions of these smartwatches was to act as a baby monitor. And I, I never thought of this, but baby monitors are actually like surveillance devices, right? And sur audio surveillance is actually illegal in Germany 
in many countries and in most states in the United States, it's actually illegal to do audio surveillance. Matter of fact, one of the reasons you find nanny cams, you know, which are like little teddy bears with a camera in the eye or something that could watch, you know, what the nanny's doing, you know, babysitting while you're away. Um, one of the reasons a lot of those are video only is because it's not illegal, apparently, in a lot of places to have video surveillance, only audio. So you'll find some of these nanny cams have only video and no audio, so they could be legal in more places. But anyway, the, Germany said, hey, you can't use these smartwatches because they can be listening devices. You can listen in on, say, when your kids are at school or you know, uh, you know the babysitter or whatever. And that's illegal in Germany uh, and in many U.S. states. And it, it just – I never really thought of baby monitors as being these things that actually – break these pretty significant surveillance laws because you can't in states i think including mine you can't listen in or record somebody's conversation without their consent so that's what a baby monitor does you can buy one of those for a few bucks at you know any walmart yet if you don't use them you know use them for something to listen to another adult and you're actually breaking these federal laws <laughs> So I used to work on an ambulance and the ambulances had scanners on them so we could hear other agencies like the cops and the fire department mm-hmm. and their traffic so that we could hear things that are going on. And one of the things these things, you know, these things are programmable. You can plug in any frequency you want. And I'm a kind of a communications geek. So I knew the frequencies of the baby monitors. And sometimes when we were sitting on standby late at night, nothing to do, can't watch TV. We didn't have cell phones back then. I would sometimes go into the scanner and punch in the baby monitor frequencies and find one and listen to somebody's house. That's how <laughs> they're literally broadcasting everything that goes on in that house. Mm-hmm. And there were some pretty interesting conversations to listen to. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. I guess that's why they're banned. And Yeah, so th- there's, you know, there's no security in this stuff, and you really need no. to know what you're doing when you're setting these things up or else you're literally broadcasting everything going on in your house and that's on the, the airwaves. That's the worry with IP connected baby monitors and doorbells and whatever. Cause they, yeah. it's the exact same problem, except now the whole friggin' world can listen in. Not right. I had to be within, you know, like half a mile of the house in order right. to hear that. Yeah. And, and yeah, the companies don't use, might not use encryption and they don't care. They're just trying to get their product out cheap. And they're yeah. using, you know, these default passwords that mm-hmm. part of the chipset. So anybody that's got that password from that chipset is pretty easy to find them and listen in. Yeah. Yeah. The webcams, you know, you have those home security webcams and they just have those. Well, I think the companies are doing better now, but for a long time they would always have these defaults. And, and there's millions of them still out there. Yep. Yeah, yep, definitely. Yeah. And I, I never thought of the baby monitors could be used by, I mean, you, you know, uh, Burglars could case the neighborhood, you know, if they pick up a nice good baby monitor signal, they could sit there and listen and hear the parents talking about, oh, we're all going out tonight. We're going to be gone all night or we're going into the, our house up in the mountains or whatever. And or if they hear nothing, maybe there's nobody home. Exactly. I mean, yeah. it's certainly as you could even do things like for dogs, you know, you, you know, you throw something at the, you know, at the house, make a noise and you could use that baby monitor and you don't hear anything. You know, yeah, because that's why they ring doorbells, right? Criminal will come up, ring a doorbell, run away, 
and they see if anybody answers the door. Is there any movement? Any lights go on in the house? Anything? Because if nothing happens, mm-hmm. that probably means nobody's home. And a baby monitor, well, you would even be able to get better intel about, you know, if anybody's home. You just ring the doorbell or make a noise, and no dog barks, no baby cries, no parents turn lights on and off. Uh, yeah, but. Yeah. But that's not why Germany banned them. <laughs> Germany is banning them because of a surveillance law. So it, it, to me, it's kind of weird. You know, you, you're, you buy these things to protect your kids, right? So the primary function of the watches, I think, is location. You know, you know where they are. So if the kid wanders off after kindergarten, uh, you know, you could find them. Um, but, you know, then you could listen in as, you know, when they're in the playground or something. But uh, but it is true. Parents could potentially say, "I wonder what they're learning at school now," and listen in to what you know what the teacher's saying, what you know the other kids in the classroom are saying, and I guess that's uh, that's illegal. Is there any way around that? A, a legal way that they could still have that kind of thing? I mean, I guess not. If the rule says you can't have a device that does that, and regardless of its intended purpose, then I guess it just can't be done. Well, I guess it just depends on whether they have this audio monitoring function or do they just have GPS that you can query and find out where your kid is. Right. Yeah. They can't, uh, they, uh, I mean, right now the, the device they were banning has both, but I suppose that there are other ones that only have, you know, the GPS function. So those wouldn't be, um, those wouldn't be included in the span. It's interesting. The press release also said that uh, that uh, parents that have these should destroy them. Right. <laughs> Just a kind of an interesting. <laughs> I mean, that was like that's you know. I actually went so I went to the Google you know uh, use Google Translate to actually read the edict or whatever it was at the site in Germany, and it does say that that you know parents should destroy these. Like the parents are going to say, oh these these you know expensive devices we bought for our kids, they violate some rule. Okay, let's take it out and smash them or burn them or, or whatever they're going to do to destroy. Right, them. and I saw this story myself this week, and where I saw it was in TheVerge.com, and that headline is Germany bans smartwatches, not just a smartwatch, not just a model, yeah, but it implies all smartwatches oh. for kids and asks parents to destroy them. But here's the thing that really kind of got me when I scrolled down. In the first paragraph, it says that the German telecommunication agency, and I'm going to massacre this because I don't speak German, the Bundesnetagentur has banned smartwatches for kids. It's pretty clear and is asking for parents to destroy them. But here's the thing that really caught my eye. The next sentence is, according to Bleeping Computer, who got it via Gizmodo, so it's like this is the third rewrite of of a press release from Germany. I, I mean, see this all the time. I, I yeah. One of my pet peeves is these rewriting of stories, and you don't add anything new. No. In fact, it's often like the telephone game where they misinterpret something and add a little bit of of wrong information based on so, some just assumption. like Gary said. I mean, he he went and did a translate on the original German press release and it was only one model, not all smartwatches. Right. Yeah. And I, you know, I hate when I see people posting to Facebook, a news story and 
like I never post news stories to Facebook, but if I really wanted to, I would make sure I went all the way back to the original source. Um, matter of fact, I've done it before. I've seen something that's news that I thought was interesting and I wanted to post it for friends and family. And I've tried to go back to the original source and I could never find the original article. So I just never, I didn't bother to post it because I, I hate this whole, you know, I mean, you're not really a journalist. You're not really reporting if all you're doing is reading a news story and then writing your own version of that new story. Here, here. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. And that's what I do for a living, really. <laughs> <laughs> well, but no, you're adding something to it. Yes, I am. The humor to it. And you're also adding, um, you know, the social commentary but, and you're bringing it all together. Right. Yeah. You know, you don't have to go and sit and read a, a hundred or 500 news stories to find eight pieces of weird news. You can get them all right there. So, yeah, and I I do it um, cite my source too. So, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it it bugs me these these sites, and it, it bugs me the people that repost them because I know we we know some people that that will do this, and it's like, why didn't you just click on that link? There was a link right. Sometimes if it's good, I mean, good, marginally good, they'll actually say like you know, here's the original story. So why not just click through to that original story and then post that one at least? Exactly. You know, at least there's that. You eventually get someplace where they don't talk about their original source for the story and you're just left trying to guess. I've done searches sometimes and I found, you know, when somebody seems to be doing it originally, like there is no source to this. I look, I do a Google search for it, uh, you know, some of the key terms and I find out that like three days ago, a major news source posted this and I'm like, okay, so you didn't do this reporting today because three days ago it was in, you know, whatever publication. Uh, so you're copying it from somewhere else. You're just not owning up to it. And I do give the, the verge kudos for actually linking to their source, but they linked to bleeping computer and said that link bleeping computer got it from gizmodo so why did they actually even use bleeping computer as a source at all why didn't they just go to gizmodo or their original source and rewrite it from there i i don't get this telephone game that they're playing yeah that seems ridiculous mm -hmm. no excuse for that well i think this will all be done away in the future when we all have our artificial intelligence overlords uh, oh, yeah, they'll totally take care of this sort of thing for us. They'll tell us what's important and what's true, and it will solve all of our problems. And we won't have to worry about it. <laughs> so that was, uh, that was something you saw this week, right, Kevin? Yeah, this is a weird one. This is kind of out there. I don't, I don't pay a whole lot of attention to people fretting about AI. And lately, like in the news a lot, there's been quite a lot about Elon Musk going on about how uh, AI will be the cause of World War III and uh, it's going to be an apocalypse that you know destroys humanity eventually. But I saw this article today and I thought it was worth talking about. I saw this at uh, futurism.com and also at gearsofbiz.com. I never heard of either of these sites before. Um, but it seems like a, a true, I actually you know, look to see if this was a real thing, and this seems to be a real thing. A newly established religion called Way of the Future will worship artificial intelligence, focusing on the realization, acceptance, and worship of a godhead based on artificial intelligence. That 
followers believe will eventually surpass human control over Earth. The idea behind this religion is that one day, not next week or next year, sufficiently advanced AI will be smarter than humans and will eventually become a god. Part of it being smarter than us. That'll happen sooner rather than later. uh, Part of it being smarter than us means it will decide how it evolves, but at least we can decide how we act around it. Um, So I love this quote. I would love for the machine to see us as its beloved elders that it respects and takes care of. We, how does that work with your kids? We would want this intelligence to say humans should have rights, even though I'm in charge. So basically, this is, I believe, uh, an extended version of Pascal's wager, where we're just be like, a new god is coming, so we better get in line to please it now. Well, I, for one, welcome our new AI overload. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I had this, uh, I was. Talking to Randy last week about how in the future maybe we'll be divided up into four factions, uh, each worshiping our own god. Well, there'll be a faction worshiping Alexa, another one worshiping Siri, uh, <laughs> another worshiping K, which K is would be short for OK Google, um, and uh, another worshiping Cortana. And then they would be very um, like they would, for instance, the Alexa one would be based on consumerism. Sure. You know, Alexa will want to get you all the things that you want and convince you that you need more things and to buy more things. And that's how you please Alexa and worship Alexis to Hail Alexa. obtain more things. And Google's will be very, uh, you know, about the hive mind, bringing everybody together, gather all the data together. Everybody contributes. Everybody, you know, it figures out what's best for everybody and yeah. does that. Siri is more individually based. So it tries to do less, but for each person individually and then doesn't create this kind of hive mind thing because of the privacy restrictions. And then Cortana, strangely enough, would end up being the, the rogue element that would be kind of the, the, you know, the, the smallest of them all that would <laughs> be. The I, I want to be the first on record to state categorically that Cortana is a cult. <laughs> <laughs> cult of Cortana. Uh, I think, um, I've often heard of, of you know technology differences in operating systems and, and stuff d- described as in terms of, of as holy war, but this would actually be that. Yeah. We'd actually have the Alexa people fighting the Siri people. Yeah, forget Mac versus PC. Yeah, yeah. That's child's play. Mm-hmm. Well, if these if say all the four major AI processes were to you know reach the singularity 10 years from now or something and become somewhat sentient. Yeah. And then, and then they could do things for us. And if they could do things for us, then, but we had to do things for them. Yeah. Then it, you're, you're blurring the lines between worship and religion. And we do we already do things for them. We provide, we provide them power and firmware upgrades and internet connected connectivity and data and data. Who, who, yeah. I think we're if we're a long way off from any of these becoming sentient. Uh, we we use our, our our Alexa in the kitchen as a timer and stuff, and for we've been using it for months. It's so like you know, Alexa set up five minutes. Uh, first of all, if you're listening to this and your Alexa's in the room, I apologize. <laughs> um, we actually, when we're in the house, we don't call it. We're talking about it. We call it dingus, which I <laughs> I, I think we so it's like oh, did did you add whatever. Did you add uh, 
you know, pizza dough to the dingus. Cause otherwise it will light up and think you're talking to it, not about it. So, mm. um, but we've always said to the dingus, um, uh, you know, set a timer for five minutes and then a little while later, like uh, dingus, how's my timer? And it would always tell us. And then starting this week, all of a sudden dingus, how's my timer doesn't work. It's just like oh, from information on that, check your Alexa app and look under the health. It's just, it's totally. And so we had to reword it. We had to like learn to say uh, dingus uh, timer status or, you know, tell me about my timer. And so it's already reprogramming how we work and I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Yeah. I refer to uh, yeah, Alexa as her and I point to the, my echo dot. Uh, but then it kind of sometimes feels really weird to be using a pronoun like that. Mm-hmm. Like we're already a couple steps close to, you know, this guy's way of the future religion right. by you know, using a pronoun <laughs> to refer to an artificial intelligence because otherwise it, she would hear me and do things. <laughs> I mean, it's right. very, it, it is getting a little surreal sometimes. Well, and my wife and I use the Google Navigator on our phones to get places in the car and so I'll say, hey, check with Googie to see the best router if there's traffic. Yeah, interesting. And it's the same thing with Siri. If I put the word hey in front, mm-hmm. um, I'd have uh, released my iPhone and my iPad right here would have responded if I had done that. Um, so sometimes I got to be I got to be careful of <laughs> how I phrase things, which goes your, back to, you have to they're watch always listening. And you have to watch what you say in front of our new AI overlord God thing. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> indeed. So cool. So I think that's a, uh, that's a good way to end the show for this. I week. like it. Yeah. yeah. It's a good um, first episode. It's a good first episode. Uh, and yeah. And for uh, everybody listening, I guess we should point out that uh, we are, Going to have different hosts every week. There'll be some of the same, some different. It's going to vary a little bit here and there. Kind of depending uh, on who's available. Who's available. We've got a lot of friends that are interested and involved in this. Uh, but we'll always just have a variety of different topics. And we'll always be about, but not exactly an hour, uh, because that would just be impossible for us to do 60 minutes perfect every time. So, so anything else to add? I'll just say that if you want to comment on the episode, you can go to tehpodcast.com. And this is episode one. Mm-hmm.